0: And he always had the best angle because he got the first question out. And so if you're not getting the first question, then you have to learn how to ask interesting and unique questions to make good stories that aren't already being written. So if I'm a sophomore journalism student at Ohio State, I might get my question answered in the first five questions if I'm good and I got better. But that means that my story had to be unique from the first four other people who were asking something, (laughs) you know. And so I think I learned a lot about asking questions in that world.
1: podcast junkies episode 204 welcome back i'm your host harry duran in case you're new to the show this is the one where i interview all those fun podcast luminaries podcast hosts people doing amazing things in the podcasting space last week i had a great conversation with greg stanley host of learn from others and the car collector podcast i love what he's doing educating students who are wondering about what their career choice might be and so it was Really fun to talk about some of the things that I had done in the past and where I thought my life would go and how that's changed. This week, I speak to Jay Klaus. He's not only a host, he's an entrepreneur, author, and founder of Unreal Collective, a community aimed at helping founders and freelancers achieve their business goals. We delve a little into Jay's educational background and his current career ventures, and also I was curious about Upside's path to profitability, so we talk a little bit about that and sponsorship, so geeking out about all things podcasting. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite, and specifically the Scarlet 2i2, which is my go-to sound card, and now it's even better. There's a 3G version. This sound card is so clean, and it's my go-to recommendation for new clients, even if you have... A microphone that has a USB output and you're tempted to just go directly into your laptop I can't recommend highly enough how much better your voice will sound once you're routing it through the clean preamps of the 2i2 and this 3G version is a thing of beauty as always you're able to monitor your sound directly from the Scarlett. And there's even a solo version if you don't need both channels. I typically use the 2i2, but I've had some clients set up the solo and they're just as happy with it. It's just the one channel in and it's a really compact unit. So nothing but good things to say about the Scarlett 2i2. Today's episode is also brought to you by Beyond the Podcast. Sponsored by AWeber, it's the premier virtual summit for podcasters. By the time you're hearing this, the conference will have gone live, but the important thing to remember is that they actually will have a replay. So if you haven't checked it out already, all you need to do is go to beyondthepodcastsummit.com, sign up for free. When it comes to simple email marketing solutions, AWeber is definitely one of the market leaders for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode to hear this week's retention hashtag, but now let's get into this conversation with Jay. So Jay Klaus, host of Upside. Thanks for joining us on Podcast Junkies today.
0: For sure. Being on the podcast about podcasts. I feel like I made it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can't get any more meta than that, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I was, I was like, well, there's already podcasts out there that, that cover this. So who am I to like? I, I was an unknown. Like I didn't know anyone in the world of podcasting. And now five years later, it's been an amazing journey. But it just, it's just a testament to what you do if you put yourself out there outside of your comfort zone and don't feel like, oh, there's already someone doing it. I shouldn't do it because I think everyone has a unique voice. So, um, rewinding the clock a little bit, let's talk a little bit about how we met, and then we'll we'll jump into your podcasting story.
0: Yeah, introduced by our mutual friends over at Squadcast as we sit here using Squadcast. Exactly. Uh, I think Rock was the one that introduced us. Talk about meta. <laughs> yeah, everything everything about this is is very insular. Yeah, I got introduced by Rock, I, and I met Rock because I was introduced to to him from Esprit at South by Southwest this past year at her, uh, she had a session about podcasting and I don't even know what happened. Somehow she ended up at a dinner that I put together, even though we didn't talk at her session, she ended up at dinner. And I said, I was at your session and somehow we got on the topic of, uh, tools and equipment. And Mm -hmm. she said, you got to meet the guys from Squadcast, And so all the way here now to Harry Duran
1: uh yeah has uh, been on podcast junkies as well before so and and rock and zach were on recently so both past guests we'll make sure we include those episodes in the show notes
0: the show notes are just episodes to other episodes of Podcast <laughs> Junkies. it's like a rabbit it's like inception
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because we I, I always joke sometimes when i've get when i've got like Folks who've been doing it for a while or where we have a lot of mutual friends, we call it the podcaster drinking game. Like every time you mention the name of another podcaster, if you're listening, oh, that's fine. <laughs> if, you, if you recognize them, you just got to do a shot. Or you, like need
0: that. A, you need a bingo card for that.
1: Yeah, that would be a podcast junkies bingo. I should do that
0: one. Podcast junkies bingo would be good.
1: <laughs> so t- talk a little bit about uh, the origin story for your show. Um, what was the inspiration?
0: Totally. So our show is called Upside. It's a podcast about startups outside of Silicon Valley and specifically startup investing, not in Silicon Valley. It started because I'm I'm in Columbus, Ohio, which is a smack dab you know, in the middle of the country. Not what people think about when they think about startup ecosystems necessarily, but there's a lot of momentum and increased pace here in Columbus. And I saw that from investors on the West Coast reaching out to me saying, we're coming to Ohio. We want to meet some of the companies. Can you introduce us? And my first thought was, of course, I'm going to introduce you to my friends. They're all my friends. My second thought was, man, how do I capture some value on that? If I'm introducing these two parties who are going to exchange a lot of capital, potentially, how can I get in on that? And I started thinking about creating a small fund myself. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to my buddy, Eric Hornung, who's my co-host on Upside. He's much more financially minded than me. I am sort of your typical just startup guy reached out to Eric and said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a fund. I don't know anything about finance. What do you think? He mailed me a book called Angel by Jason Kalkanis, one of the most successful angel investors on the planet in history. And in that book, he lays out this three-step process for evaluating an angel investment. In that three-step process, the first step is research, doing independent research on the companies you're about to talk to. Interviewing the founder for some amount of time and then doing what he called a deal memo, basically saying, what did I think about that opportunity to crystallize your thinking? Uh, Over time, if you look back 12 months ago at the deal memo you did and you look at how the company is doing, were your assumptions correct? So Eric and I thought, okay, one, raising a fund is going to be really hard. Two, let's pretend we have a fund and interview founders as if we were angel investors on a podcast, and we'll make the format of that podcast that three-step process that Jason Kalkanis laid out. Now we didn't we didn't tell founders that we actually had a fund, but um, you know we were playing the role of angel investor on the podcast, asking the same questions an angel investor would about traction and metrics and things like that. And we just thought that would work and it'd be interesting. And, and we started doing that, recording late 2017. Launched our first episodes um, in May of 2018, so we kind of bankrolled some in- inventory, and we've been doing it now for a year and a half.
1: And so who did you have in mind specifically when you were looking for those first guests? You know, was it just like word of mouth, friends and family, or did did you have people actually in mind for the show?
0: Well, we didn't know exactly what types of companies we would talk to, and I was lucky to have some pretty good connections of interesting companies here in Columbus, And what we learned very quickly was if you talk to a founder who's kind of in the thick of it figuring stuff out, not any different than being a podcaster, you know the other founders who are in the thick of it figuring stuff out. And so after we uh, got a couple of guys from Columbus to take a leap on us and follow along with our format, we turn off the mics and we say, hey, who else should we be talking to? And they would say, you got to talk to this person, this person, Mm -hmm. this person. And over time, we got much more targeted about Diversity in every sense of the word. Um, starting with geographic diversity, you know, we would say we don't have anybody in Cleveland yet. Who should we talk to in Cleveland? Who should we talk to in Des Moines? Who should we talk to in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming? As a founder mm-hmm. that we found, and most of it was just led by uh, led by asking other founders or other people in the ecosystems around there.
1: And were you had you done interviews before? So where did you get that training, and, and how did that progress as the show started?
0: Mm, Good question. No, I hadn't really done interviews. I I spent some time in the journalism college at Ohio State and did a lot of interviewing for the purpose of writing stories. Mm -hmm. And what I really learned from that, there was this guy, Tim May. He's a reporter for the Columbus Dispatch, which is like the major news organization here in Columbus. He's a sports reporter. And I covered the football team for uh, a semester when I was in college And what always blew my mind about Tim May was he always got the first question in. And it wasn't because he had the most respect necessarily. He did, but that wasn't why he got the first question. There was no meritocracy to it. It was just who had their question heard first by the person at the podium. And his timing was incredible. Like he would know exactly when to start speaking to be the first person heard and the first person answered. And he always had the best spin on the best story. Like all of us in that room, had some ideas of what story we're going to write, but no one wanted to write the same story. And he always had the best angle because he got the first question out. And so if you're not getting the first question, then you have to learn how to ask interesting and unique questions to make good stories that aren't already being written. So if I'm a sophomore journalism student at Ohio State, I might get my question answered in the first five questions if I'm good and I got better. But that means that my story had to be unique from the first four other people who were asking something, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think I learned a lot about asking questions in that world. And it also got me over being a 20-year-old who grew up in Ohio, you kind of deify the football players and the coaches at Ohio State, right? And suddenly being in front of that person with a recorder in their face, asking them questions... You you have to lose that level of being starstruck pretty quickly and realize that people are just people and you have yeah. to talk to them as people. And so I would I would credit most of my interviewing practice and skill to that period of time. But even then, you know, Eric and I when we started the show, we had two episodes we recorded that will never see the light of day because they were a train wreck. Uh, you have to, especially having a co-host, you really have to figure out what chemistry looks like and and how you guys bounce off of each other. And that t- that took some time.
1: Yeah, I think that's some that's something people take for granted. And I think having a good relationship with uh, a friend and and being casual and being able to hang out together and always have something fun to talk about, I think is different than the dynamic of having a co-host because you hear when it's done well, and and you can tell when it's not done well, and you know they're there's no chemistry there or maybe they talk over each other or they, or I've seen some instances where it's, it's just the two co-hosts talking and they don't let totally. the, they don't let the guests talk. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be, it's supposed to be, even, you know, if you, it's so funny as um from editing, if you look at a, a conversation, you can tell a really good episode if the bottom one, which is the guest when I'm editing has the more way files, like a, totally. a conversation happening. And if just, it's just me, it's just kind of these little like one or two minute, points where I'm asking a question. Totally. Um, so I, I don't know if you've noticed that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of a student of interviewing at this point and the interviewers that I hate are the ones that talk so much. It's like, I get you every episode. I get a little bit of you every episode, which means over time I have a lot of you. I don't need more of you when I only get one shot of this guest. Yeah. Eric and I have this kind of, I think unspoken, but we both understand our goal is to ask better questions than the other, like it's this kind of weird, friendly competition that we have which means that we get really good questions and we don't speak over each other. It's it's very like amicable in that way. Uh, something about co-hosts that's also interesting when I listen to shows, sometimes they can be great interviewers and they can have great chemistry, but they have like the same sounding voice, oh. which is so hard as a listener. <laughs> Invisibilia by NPR is one of those shows where I'm just it's like, who show. am I hearing from right now? I that's love the show, but like I have no idea which person I'm hearing from at any point
1: it's that it, what's well, so funny because it's especially when you talk about the empire style sh- shows it's it's that saturday I, saturday Night live skit comes to mind <laughs> oh my gosh yes and it's that same, exactly yeah it's that same <laughs> monotone voice and and it's almost like that's what they're trained to do and how how to tell stories for sure um th- were, were you a fan of cereal
0: uh i listen to cereal and i like cereal um Ah, uh, some of these big budget shows, and especially things in the true crime realm. True crime, just not my jam. Mm-hmm, me neither. Um, and I just don't understand the appeal. Like to me, it's it's like it's like watching cable news. It's like, what are you doing to your brain? Like this is not good for you. This is not giving you positive thoughts. It's not making you better in any way. It's just like participating in some form of Schadenfreude or something.
1: Mm-hmm. But I listened to
0: S Town, and I was loving S Town, and there was just no conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, like what an interesting narrative that doesn't have an end.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I ever listened to S-Town because I listened to Serial and it took me a while because I didn't really jump on it immediately and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but obviously season two was like, it landed with a, a you know, was not as, I'm sure there's still millions, but relatively speaking, <laughs> but I think um, it sort of lost its, its interest. Now she's trying to do something else with different cases It it's so funny because there's a lot of tropes and so I talk about this I've talked about this podcast before, but a very fatal murder. I don't know if you ever listened Mm -hmm. to it. Nope. It's it's produced by the onion. Oh no way. It is absolutely so funny if if you listen to Serial, they take every single trope of all these like style, like murder mystery shows, and beginning to end, he just kind of like, but he in a, in us, a, he's taking it seriously, like himself. But you can tell that they're just literally mocking every single trope of like these NPR style shows. It's so funny because there's like, all these inside jokes, and you're just like, you can see exactly what they're doing. They've got fake sponsors too. It's it's so good I because they totally nailed it. Like it sound like professionally like. Pr- Quality-wise, it's it's super well produced, but the content is just kind of like lampooning like that total genre.
0: Did you watch American Vandal on Netflix? No, I didn't. Similar story. Oh my gosh, so well done and like thoroughly entertaining and engrossing in a fictional narrative that is just in this style. Oh my gosh, so good. So yeah, I definitely like satirical murder mysteries more than I like actual murder mysteries. (laughs) You're gonna
1: love that, Uh, and I think they just they might have a season two out now. So uh, it's been years. If you've listened to it and you've got some bones to pick with uh, that style, then the fact that they just lampooned it perfectly is going to be awesome.
0: I love that. We we had a guest on our show who was, uh, he has a podcast hosting an analytics platform called Backtracks. Okay. And at the end of that interview, which went on super long, you know, we we typically talk to startup founders and he was a startup founder that fits our thesis, like pre-series A, he's in Austin, Texas, but we had so many thoughts just on podcasting generally and his theory He thinks there's going to be some like um, super networks for entertainers because Mm -hmm. entertainers can move into the space so easily and bring an audience and bring like notoriety. But his theory is there's going to be a lot of types of shows that are almost reverting back to old school radio. Mm -hmm. We have all these entertainers who recognize their name and their voice and they're doing essentially non visual narrative shows, you know, where they're playing parts. Yeah. Um, just like old school radio, and I heard that I'm like, oh, I would listen to that, and it's just yeah. crazy how that has come totally full circle to like where we started with radio. If that actually happens,
1: well, there are there are shows like that, like full blown um, dramas, like yeah, nonfiction dramas. I mean, fiction dramas uh, that are with like a cast and everything like that. Panoply, when they were still producing content had a partnership with GM where they, this is like an eight part series and it's amazing. Cause you're just sucked into like the story and it's like, it's almost like watching like a Netflix show, but it's all audio and it's, it's really well done. And so that was one of them. I'll have to get the name for it. And then uh, I'll shoot you a link for that. But there's been a couple that do it really well and you know, they require like casts and now like Julia Roberts was like on one of the podcasts. I don't know if it was lore or, it's one of the podcasts that went mainstream. There's so many now I can't even keep track with all yeah. these these podcast landing deals, but it's an interesting um, yeah, the the the, the genre is like changing so much. There's no there's no one you can't say podcasting is one thing anymore.
0: Yeah, totally. So I mean, and when when Anchor got bought, right, by Spotify, mm-hmm. the question was, does is the bet by Spotify that podcasting is like YouTube with a bunch of independent creators with mm-hmm. a bunch of like things their way, or is it gonna be more like Netflix where it's high production like -hmm. super well thought out. I don't know where that lies. Like it'd be a bummer if it goes the Netflix, Netflix style, because a lot of indie creators are going to be kind of left out. But at the same time, you know, as an indie creator, it gets harder all the time to compete with these big budget shows. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: I don't know that there is a a comp. I mean, there is obviously a competition in terms of like, you know, what, what Edison Research calls like the share of ear or you know, however they want yeah. to position. Yeah, and like there's only a, a certain amount of time and I know even now because we produce shows with our company like we, I, I, I sometimes listen to client shows and so like my time, you know, to listen to podcasts has dropped so much and so yeah. it's, it's very rare. I mean I tend to stay more now with just podcasts around the industry so I listen to pod news. Um, occasionally Lipson's podcast just to see what's going on and, and just kind of, I, I need to, I'm more interested in keeping tabs on what's happening in the industry. Um, and that's why I go to the podcasting conferences to keep up with that, but just, just for entertainment value, it's getting harder and harder. So yes, I mean, to, to that point, I think there's a, a limited bandwidth, but there's also just this influx of new listeners that are coming in. And then this idea of just niching down, like having super, super, super niche podcasts, not just like yeah. uh, you know, a, a podcast about photography, but just one that's specifically for, a recent client we launched is photo business help, like helping photographers who want to launch a photography business, like, and then yeah. calling it something that's specific to that. So because it's nice to have like a cute and funny, like or in- interesting name, but if people aren't looking for that specific topic, it's going to, you're making, you know, it's going to kind of be harder for people to find the show. So I think uh for new podcasters, just this idea of niching down and speaking to a very, very specific audience. You know, you'll, you won't get, the tens of thousands of listeners, but the people who do listen, I think are going to be your super fans.
0: It's going to be really hard as an indie creator to really break as an entertainment podcast, as opposed to education, like Mm -hmm. just the, as quickly as big budgets and big names can move into that space. It's just so hard to compete for that year. share. Because if you're, if you're an entertaining podcast, not only are you competing with armchair expert and Conan O'Brien and WTF, you're competing with Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. You're competing with anything else people are using to fill their time with just entertaining content. You know, the ringer, like it's just so hard to compete in that space. So I I love the trend of niching down from like a specific type of information you're providing people. I'm really interested in seeing more like super short form podcasts, Mm. like less than 10 minutes. Yeah. And, And on one hand, you're kind of like, well, what can you actually get out of that? And I think you can pack like some really high value short things that are weekly or maybe even daily. But if you're trying to, like, get a slice of that attention from people, the shorter your show, the easier it is for them to stomach. Like, you see, you know, The Daily kind of started this, and now you have The Journal from The Wall Street Journal. Yep. Um, our show is long-form interviews with startup founders. There's probably space for super short-form, yeah. very direct pitch-style interviews with founders that don't get into the details, but, like, just get the pitch. And if I'm a, you know, a, a big, a significant portion of our audience is uh, venture capitalists, and if I can listen to a show once a day or twice a week that is giving me a pitch of a couple of companies that I trust this podcast host to have vetted a little bit to be interesting, I'd fit that in my schedule. Heck, I'd fit it in my walk, my drive, whatever it is. It's easy to do.
1: Yeah, I had a, a past guest on uh, Brian McCullough, episode 190, and he's got his podcast is the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Yeah,
0: and- yeah. We were just looking at that, actually. I just became aware of that.
1: He's, uh, it's a really interesting story because he's basically taken the, the ride home as a brand. And I think now I just read that he's doing another partnership because the, the idea is like, instead of delivering it early in the morning, like a lot of the daily shows do, his was like, you would commu- you would on your commute back home and it, it's, it's short. It's about 10 to 12 minutes. So again, it's, it's almost like this subgenre genre of under 15 minute podcasts. And he would develop the partnership with the tech meme website. And as such, he didn't have to originate the content. They were already originating stories, daily oh, stories wow. all the time. So he partnered with them as their podcast arm. And now his podcast is called Tech Me Ride Home, but he li- he sort of licensed that whole ride home concept. And now he can take that with other shows or other brands or other websites that are producing daily content. Think about Super all smart. these different genres, not just technology, but every single industry you can think of. There's probably a handful of sites that produce the daily news for like real estate for for insurance like whatever it is and if he could align and create a company that could say okay we'll take your daily and we'll create your your ride home version of it so he's doing some really interesting stuff and then also previous guest erica mandy host of the newsworthy does a a short show hers is about 10 to 12 minutes again and she's got like a dozen years in journalism experience she was on cnn so she knows like how to get stories and and how to tell them in a short period of time so she's had a lot of success with that show.
0: So as much as you live in the world of podcasting, Harry, what have you lost some enjoyment over it, be honest?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think um you know, even just these moments of like these conversations, I I've had, um, I had one previously today. So this is my second one today. And it, it takes a sec. It takes a couple of minutes for me to settle in and just get comfortable, like relaxing. Cause I, I, am building my business. So I'm always kind of stressed out about that. And there was some travel going on and I was at podcast movement for the sixth year in a row. And, and that's sort of like <laughs> a whirlwind of, of energy. But I think appreciating these moments to kind of dig in and and talk to new friends, talk to new podcasters. It helps me like maintain um, my enthusiasm and energy for what's happening, but also talk about, you know, because there's, there's always new things happening. And as much as I do have my finger on the pulse, there's always like little things that I'm learning of because there's, there's no possible way I can even keep up with, Every type of genre of podcast. I mean, we're at 700,000 plus now in, in Apple podcasts alone. So the rate at which they're being produced is just crazy to even think you can stay on top of. So just these are, these are like my ways to talk with folks in the space. I really enjoyed this, this moment. And I think that enthusiasm comes through, um, for my listeners because, the, you know, they, they, they like sort of this peek behind the curtain of yeah. all the different flavors. So you have new people listening. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, the, the short answer is like, I, I still am excited about it because it's been so fun to see what's going on and just expanding my network. This is something I, you know, I talk yeah. to clients about just the idea of like, if you wanted to grow your network in a specific niche, like start a podcast, there's no better way yeah. <laughs> you pick 20 people, um, in your industry and say, you know, uh, I had a friend who was like an engineer and he wants to get a new engineering job. I'm like, create a podcast called rockstar engineers and interview 20 of your favorite Friend, your your peers or, or people you admire in the space yeah. and I said look you can get zero downloads in the podcast that's not what you're doing it. and you would literally have 20 face-to-face conversations with someone in your industry who knows who you are now
0: you're giving away the best secret of podcasting <laughs> which is that like you win just by doing the act and and meeting the people it's such a phenomenal networking hack I don't know how long that can possibly remain to be true because at this point when you reach out to somebody like you're still one of maybe zero uh, Mm -hmm. past podcasters who have said, I want to talk to you. People love getting on an interview and talking about themselves. Like that will not always be true. And at some point people will probably rebound and say, I've done 10 shows already that got a total of like 50 listens. I'm only, I'm going to screen for shows that seem like they have listeners but um, I don't think we're at that point yet thankfully for podcasters starting out
1: <laughs> yeah and this, this also speaks to the idea of being super niche because if you're niche in, in a specific hobby or, or, or something like that people don't follow or, or or even an older demographic because you know there's a lot of stories that are we're losing you know with um, I was spoke to a couple of folks at podcast movement whose, whose focus is uh, baby boomers, hmm. you know, so there's a, I think there's a certain age where people in that baby boom generation, I think it's like every seven seconds, they're like passing away or something like that. So we're losing Whoa. all those older, older stories. Um, and so it's this idea. I mean, I've had people whose purpose, one of the purposes of their show is just to capture their voice on, on, on tape, if you will, you know, for their hmm. future generations, because it's it's so easy to do, but we lose sight of the fact that, you know, how interesting would it have been to hear like your grandfather you know, talk for like interview 60 people or something like that, you know, just having that archival record, I think is fascinating.
0: Yeah, I don't know. You, you have no idea what the power of the long tail that is either. You know, yeah. like you could be, be doing this baby boomer project and you have 500 interviews the baby boomers and nobody cares for like 10 years. And then yeah. suddenly like 10 years later, people unearth this and it's like, holy crap, listen to this. I think there's going to be a fascinating moment in time some number of years from now. I don't know if it's five years less 10 years, even maybe where, you know, there's this magic of podcasting where people let down their guard and they have very real conversations Mm -hmm. and especially people with a public profile. That's just a a medium. You don't hear them in very often. That's why people love listening to it. But at some point there's going to be some crazy event that happens 10 years from now that people are going to start referencing podcast interviews from years before. It's like, well, this person said this thing offhand in this interview, we should have seen that coming or we should have seen this coming I don't know at what point we start looking more critically at the conversations and then that becomes a liability the same way that your tweets from 2010 become Mm. a liability for people. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't happen. I think our culture has to become more tolerant generally or we won't be able to elect a president in 10 years. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah,
1: it's interesting People do seem to let their guard down. And, and I think it's, it's a skill and it's something to your point about being a student of interviews. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by people, um, who, who can ask thought provoking questions. And I'm also listening. Like I listen to Tim Ferriss and Jordan Harbinger and, um, you know, Larry Kings, the, the, you know, Charlie Roses of the world, like Terry Gross, like just fascinating. Like it, they all have their certain way of asking them. But you can tell when people have done their research or they have a vested interest in the guest that they're really attentive, they're listening, um, and they're trying to get the best out of that, that experience, you know, whatever it is, that one hour they have, or in the case of Joe Rogan, like, you know, the three hours, like, one of the things Joe says that's really interesting is, you know, in three hours, it's hard to hide, like... <laughs> Your shit, like you—you can't, like I mean, you can only BS for like fifteen minutes, and that's why these sound bites on news shows are so freaking annoying. Because it's like, no, I like anyone could give you a a five-second, a five-minute sound bite, but like, put someone in a chair for three hours. I mean, it's like at some point, truth serum starts to come out because it's like, you know, you can't, and that's why, you know. People laugh when I say I'm looking forward to Kanye West on Joe Rogan because he he apparently agreed to go on. But oh, I'm just I'm just fascinated because I'm like, okay, he can BS and say some weird stuff for like 15 minutes to half an hour. But when you force him to keep talking, like, and Joe's like Joe's his direct B- too. His, his BS meter is like super high. It's like, okay, no, that that I'm calling BS on that. And it just forces people to like tell you something meaningful. So I'm I'm always I'm always appreciative of, of the ability of this genre to to kind of unearth that sort of stuff.
0: And he's direct, like he'll go in and he'll, he'll be a ball buster, which I, I like that. But even in shorter form interviews, like if you're trying to get some real behind the scenes or like some of the real juice, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it is just inflection is what I found. You know, we, we talk to founders and we ask questions about their companies that honestly, sometimes I'm, I'm surprised they give us the answers. But if I, if I were to ask somebody like, okay, so what's your revenue? That's a very different approach than saying, so what is your revenue this year? You know, like one of them just like pulls a response out of people because it's a conversation with somebody that's just curious versus someone who's like grilling you or interviewing you like in the more sense of like a job interview type of way. Um, But Joe like kind of goes on the side of just direct because he's kind of like in a position where he knows. You agreed to come here, and you knew what this is going to be about. So I'm going to go for it.
1: <laughs> well, it's also it speaks to you know you obviously you're targeted about who you have on your show. You know, I I really I rarely do any cold interviews of just someone just reaching out. Hey, I'd like to be on. I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know. <laughs> You Know what your show is like. Um, I used to have a higher criteria earlier, like you have to have 50 episodes, but it, it seemed pretty silly. Like, um, and now you know, I've found shows that like I was interested in, um, uh, that were on Twitter that I'm like, oh, that, that looks like cool. And, and, um, regular lis- listeners will know that I, I referenced um, the Casual Birder podcast because I saw that she was, it was a podcast about birding <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, just, just kind of scratching my own itch because I feel like that makes for a more interesting conversation because then. I'm actively interested in what your story is and how you got into podcasting. And, and, you know, we've got friends that, you know, we mutually respect. So I just think that makes for a a better conversation for the listener as well.
0: Do you have any stats on seasonal podcasts that do well? Like I have some clients who are starting podcasts and I don't work with them in the production like – as heavy as you do, but I help them yeah. get things started and think through positioning and stuff. And a lot of times they're starting it cause they're interested and they want to meet people. And they're afraid of this like ongoing commitment that so many mm-hmm. of us commit to, to doing yeah. a weekly or twice weekly show in our case. And so I talk to them about seasons are an option, but the podcaster part of me. Like if I think about doing a seasonal show, it scares the shit out of me, to be honest. I don't know if we can c- curse on the show. But yeah, it scares me because, uh, <laughs> I feel like when the season's over, you know, your show may stop auto-downloading or, like, you're just out of that person's routine. You're away from them. It seems like there's a lot of drop-off after a lot of hard work of getting the, then to listen to the show in the first place. Do you have any data on that or any insight?
1: Yeah. It obviously depends on who you are. I mean, the stronger your following is like one of our clients is uh, Samantha Peshek. She's uh, she was a gymnast in the 2008 gymnastics team on, um, and they won the silver medal. So, I mean, she came with like a, a you know, hundred thousand Instagram followers already. So she's, you know, she's already cracked, I think 300,000 downloads and which she's, um, shared with her, her community. So that's nothing, um, that, um, she hasn't talked about, but it's been fascinating because you know she's in between shows, and we you know we look at her stats, and she's still getting significant number of downloads, you know, and and again that just speaks to the rabid fan base that she has that will continue to listen. Um, but for other shows, you know, we we do a, there's a business show that that we do, a real estate show, and he he's in between seasons two and three, but he's always emailing his list like, and he's recirculating his cons his email. Constantly. Um, he actually emails his list daily, which is really intense. N- intense. But um there's a, a guy who like promoted that um that approach. His name is Ben Settle and he's big in the marketing space and he taught you like the people who will continue to to listen to your stuff, you know, you're going to alienate a lot of people, but the ones who it's for, who like to hear that little check-in from you daily, and they don't have to be huge emails, but it's almost like a conversation. And he's he's maintaining that active connection with his listener base. And so I subscribe, and it's fascinating to see because he's just like, oh... I'm like, how many of these do you have archived and how many of these do you recycle? He's like, no, I just kind of like think about, I spend like 50, 10, 15 minutes, I, I, I block it out in a day and and then I tell people like, hey, here's a podcast and and something that he says, which is interesting, is emails, he's like, the podcast is free. Like he literally reminds people that and we take that for granted. We're like, oh, everybody totally. knows. But when we're in this world, it's so insular sometimes, like all the little things that we assume that about podcasts that we know to be true as podcasters, like you know, our o- older generations, our parents, people who are not tech savvy, like they don't know. They might think they have to pay for this sort of stuff. So, just kind of as a podcaster, just always being as inclusive as imposs- as possible in your language, I think is important.
0: Totally agree with that.
1: Uh, now, so I was going to ask you. So, like, you you talked a little bit about your journalism background. So, I'm wondering what else, like, you you studied, and um, the the reason career is top of mind is because someone um, who's going to be on the, on the an episode that's coming out Greg Stanley he's got to learn from others podcast and he talks to people about their trajectory and, and like where where they end, how they ended up where they are and it's always this curve like the, he said maybe there's one or two people out of like 80 plus episodes where it was like a direct line like I'm going to be this and this is what I end up doing <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering if you in terms of like your career trajectory like what you what you thought you were going to be doing how that's different than what you're doing now
0: uh totally i i had no idea what i was going to be doing and there was <laughs> there was a girl i went to school with like literally middle school like an eighth maybe it was even sixth grade she said i'm gonna be a lawyer and just recently like graduated law school oh, wow. and i don't know if that is the most like amazing laudable thing or the most closed-minded thing i've ever heard mm-hmm. you know what i mean um i had no idea what i wanted to do and i think for most 18 year olds going to college like it's unbelievably realistic to expect that they would know like because you can only choose from your experience set and what you already know. And as an 18 year old, you're going to have a very limited view of the world, which is probably just inherited from your parents and immediately, immediate, like close family friends. So I started um, undecided, went to journalism because I like to write, then um, realized that there wasn't much of a future in print journalism and there wasn't really much going on in the podcasting game at the time. Didn't even realize this could be like a version of journalism. Uh, got into business because of an entrepreneurship club at Ohio state, loved it, had no idea that you had the permission to make stuff on your own and sell things and not take, you know, quote unquote, the path. Uh, And, um, just started doing internships with small companies and then, uh, graduated with a degree in marketing just because it was the only business degree I could get and still get out in four years by the time I'd screwed around and switched things several times and immediately went to work with a startup even before I graduated full-time. I was the first first full-time hire. And we went through um, an accelerator. We raised a, a round of seed funding, and that company was acquired in 2015. From there, I went to uh, a very venture-backed startup here in Columbus, Ohio. Worked there for a year and ultimately just missed being my own boss. Uh, so I started freelancing, and then this podcast kind of put me right back into the world of venture and investment-type startups And so now I find myself with like this hard split in my brain between the very startup venture minded part of myself and also this artist and creator over here, uh, which is like the split in my brain that I fight literally every day. But I had no I I had no expectation that I'd be doing things like teaching. I, I do courses on LinkedIn learning and now independently, but doing coursework and writing every day and creating content like that was not even close to an idea
1: and so how do you think about like what it is you do in terms of like your career and and, like when you what do you tell people (laughs) now like when they ask you like you know when they ask what you do
0: depends on the audience a lot of times i'll say that i'm a writer or i'll say i run an online accelerator for creators which is unreal collective my main like full-time focus but a lot of times i just like throw in a lot of stuff at this point um But it really depends on the audience. If the audience is targeted, I'll either say, like, I'm a writer. I'm a podcaster. I help freelancers, like, make a living. just depends on the audience. But in reality, I have this real portfolio career Mm -hmm. where I, I make a lot of stuff. But I want to make a living on my writing and on my podcasting. Upside is a profitable podcast, which is crazy and amazing, But I'm starting a second podcast and it is not going to be profitable off the bat. And I'm, (laughs) you know, running my cash flow numbers and seeing like, okay, how many episodes can I afford Mm. to do on a monthly basis um, out of the gate? So it really depends on who I'm talking to because I'm a dabbler. I'm a professional dabbler.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about your uh, path to profitability on Upside?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's, we are not, you know, a 10,000 download show, but because our show is very niche, to your point about niching down, our listeners are a very specific type of person in a specific geography for the most part. And so for us, it was working with uh, sponsors directly that we had relationships with or built relationships with and just you know creating a per episode sponsorship with people who were super aligned to our type of listener. Uh, our first po- uh, sponsor was Taft, Taft Law. Um, they are a law firm representing small business and startup companies in the middle of the country. And then we had a second sponsor, Integrity Power Search, which is a full stack recruiting firm for high growth startups in the middle of the country. And they partner directly with venture capital groups. So for both of those sponsors, um, a conversion of one client pays off their sponsorship easily, maybe more than once. And so, you know, not only are they a sponsor to the listener, but we, you know, we follow up with our guests and say, hey, your episode is live. Uh, Here's where you can link to it. Here's what you can share. By the way, as a thank you, we're uh, willing to make an introduction to this law firm that we really respect their work or this uh, high growth recruiting company that we also respect their work. Like, It's value add to have those sponsors and you can very quickly show ROI with them um, and that's valuable to them. So we're able to monetize that effectively.
1: How did those conversations start? Um, did, did they reach out to you? You re- reach out to them or introductions?
0: Both were surprisingly organic. Where uh, Taft, we weren't even looking for sponsors at the time. I ran into a, a friend of mine who had recently moved into a role at that firm. And it was towards the end of the year. And he said, hey, we should talk sometime. He knew that I represented a lot of or work with, collaborate with a lot of uh, business owners. He's like, we should talk sometime because um, next year we're thinking about what we're doing with marketing and we want to get in front of a lot of business owners. And we just like both paused and looked at each other and said, we should talk about the podcast. (laughs) Uh, And similarly, another friend of mine moved into um, a new position with Integrity Power Search. We had worked together at Crosschecks, this company that I spent a year at. And we were just catching up generally. And he was telling me about the decision to make that move. And Uh, how they were trying to expand as a firm into more areas in the middle of the country who exactly their clients were, venture capital firms and uh, growing startup companies. And again, at the same time, we're like, we should talk about this because we are communicating with the same people. Um, So they both happened organically, but it's not to say that you couldn't have gotten to the same outcome and found the same or similar partners very intentionally and proactively. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, even as much as we both had the same idea at the, at the beginning, like we had to prove why it was a good idea and make a proposal to them. And, you know, that's just like any other sponsorship conversation, but we're, we're not, you know, we're not pretending that we're going to go through a broker dealer right away and just have Mm -hmm. like automated ads placed based on our listenership. That's going to get harder and harder. But if you have a niche audience that is of high value to some other sponsor, like there's some real synergy there
1: yeah some of the work we've done with clients is helping them uh have that discussion with sponsors and some of our uh, clients actually started a show with a sponsor so like literally from because of their you know their following because of their audience they were able to easily make um a, a a pitch to that but i think what's important is early podcasters they think about downloads as their selling point and it's really the platform so it's like what's your visibility on facebook what's your visibility on twitter instagram how big is your email list how many people are are coming to your website like do you speak publicly do you have live events like all these things in aggregate then become really attractive especially if you're speaking to that narrow that really defined audience in in, in the case of uh, what you guys are doing as well yeah
0: and i mean like i said with with ips for example even as valuable as being in the episodes themselves just us being an advocate to the guests that we speak with is really really great. And we we think very intentionally about the creative of the ads too. So with Taft, we scripted out and prepared these 2-minute ads where we were asking legal questions mm. and got a response from some of their partners or attorneys that was useful to the listener, which is like what more powerful way to yeah. show that you would be a good lawyer for somebody than like showing them exactly what you know, right? That's so and smart. It's more interesting to the listener too. Um a lot of work to pull that together, but worth worth it.
1: But then you have a batch of like audio snippets that you just can kind of cycle into the episodes.
0: Yeah, we, we built a page called the Taft Law Library at upside.fm slash taft. And every ad spot we did, we uploaded as just a snippet answering a specific question on the website. And similar with IPS, we have upside.fm slash integrity. And that has like a full rundown of what they do. And uh, we'll we'll put audio spots and maybe even some resources on there, too. So yeah, it's 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 cool to create assets like that and show the sponsor. Like, not only did we do this together and and put these in the episodes, which are evergreen, but you know, here's like a resource that you can use and share with people. We're sharing it. Um, it's it's really great.
1: That's such a smart idea, and we'll make sure we have uh, links specifically to those in the in the show notes as well because I think, I it, people. Are so narrow-minded when they think of ad reads, and there's a lot of interesting things happening with dynamic ad insertion as well. I know Megaphone is, has has taken the lead, and I you know folks like Gimlet use them. We're testing it out for some shows, but the fact that you can dynamically insert an ad um, yeah. that can that can not appear if you don't have an ad, you can you can swap in a promo if you do have one, and if you don't have a promo or an ad, it's just seamlessly like reads the ad and then you can geo target them so if you want an event happening in a specific just in ohio Mm. just to listeners in ohio it'll do that and then it'll expire as well so you never have like current events being uh promoted in an episode that came out like three years i mean uh, older events coming out in an episode three years ago and you're listening it to like three years later and you're like well that event passed that ad was like a waste so a lot of interesting stuff
0: how does that work? I've never figured it, like I, I've no conceptually that happens, but like as as you're producing the show itself, how yeah. do you leave space for it or mark where those ads would programmi- programmatically be placed?
1: It's uh, it uses chapter marks, uh, I believe, or there's a, a bit of marker, and you put it, and you have to have a certain editing tool that'll allow you to have those markers in there, and then a tool like Megaphone will actually look for the markers as the place to insert it, and you have to also be thinking about it from a um, a host as well. So you know we're going to take a quick break to have a read. From from our sponsor, and then it would just cycle in the ad, and then you're like, and we're back. Thanks for joining us. So you can kind of do that, or you just leave a pause where, like, um, you know, if you know that's that's something you want to come in. If you know you're always going to have something, uh, a, a quick from our sponsor, it could be you promoting your own stuff, right? It could be you promoting the network. It could be you promoting an, uh, another uh, product.
0: So in the sponsorship conversations that lead to those ad placements, are you? promising the sponsor a certain number of listens, a certain number of downloads, a certain period of time that their ad will appear in episodes? Like, how do you think about what you you think about? Yeah,
1: it's almost like an inventory. So if there's, you know, hypothetically speaking, if there's a network of shows and they're getting, you know, uh, 50,000 downloads across, let's say, 10 shows or something like that, um, what you would do is you typically would offer up and you, you, this is the conversation you have with now the host or the owner of the, or the host or the owner of the network and says, okay, you have to have a pre-roll. All your shows on the network have to have a pre-roll and a post-roll at the, at a minimum, minimum, and then maybe a mid-roll. And then what you, if you think about three ad spots and there's 50,000 downloads, then you're selling an inventory of 150,000 reads to a sponsor. And then you, you do your pricing based on that. And so, you just get it scheduled and then it just cycles through the inventory. And when all the 150,000 mentions are done, then that, you know, that campaign is complete.
0: So that tool measures how many times that has been downloaded or listened to.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll give you, you'll know if that was played because if it, it this, the system knows, because it's it's just one of the, that's what they designed it for to begin yeah. with, like to act because there was such a need for it for, for bigger sponsors to be like, look, we want to, Programmatically insert our ads, and we want to make sure. It, but it's still host read stuff. Like you would read it as a host. You'd read yeah. you'd read the promo. So it's not like they're inserting like a Seven Eleven ad in the middle in the middle of your show. <laughs> it's still you as the host. You know you Big have to do. Big little... <laughs> Yeah, and and some of these tend to tend to come out at the wrong time. And I've heard like some pretty like you know important moments of like you know um, uh, like an important moment in a conversation where the guest says something meaningful, and then like a weird and then. Y- sometimes the host himself jumps in with an ad for like a, you know, a supplement and you're like, well, the the timing, (laughs) the time. And I know it's hard because at some point, you know, they, they're for some of these bigger shows, the sponsors is is in fact, you know, paying for the show. So, you know, to your point, so there's a bit of an obligation there and something that I think about as we started to get more uh, sponsors on our show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So it's, 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 it, there's no one size fits all, but I think, um, I've even had the idea of starting a show specifically with the idea of targeting a sponsor, and so <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if you think, yeah, if you think about that and you think about where there's an unserved need or where they're trying to get more visibility, I'm like, you almost reverse engineer and say, who are like the top twenty people in this industry? You know, for example, you know, everyone knows like ZipRecruiter and LinkedIn is like the, are the number one and two sponsors for podcasts, right? So create a podcast that interviews like the CF, the, the like the CEOs of Staffing companies or something yeah. like that, and then if you if you literally had the top, if you aimed for the top fifty and you and you were able to get the top ten to launch with, I'm sure ZipRecruiter would be very interested in, <laughs> in advertising on that show, and you could almost command a premium because it's like, look, you can't get more niche than to like than a specific show that we're developing that is speaks to who you want to get in front of. So,
0: interesting, interesting.
1: A lot, of, a lot of cool ideas, and obviously as a podcaster, I'm sure you've had no shortage of podcasting ideas.
0: Yeah, but I mean, then then you're paying to produce another show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's true. Uh, so when you, yeah, when you, I think when you have a production team, you, you tend to, and some of the, the hosting companies and a transistor lets you have unlimited shows, which is interesting because if you just want to like scratch an itch, I had a couple of podcasts that I started um, after this one. I'm like, I did it for a couple of weeks. And so I was guilty myself of pod fading um, because I realized it's it's hard. And I, that one was going to be a weekly show as yeah. well. So I'll, I'll probably restart that pretty soon. So um, how have you grown as a host From the time you started, you know, is it something that's noticeable for you?
0: Well, because we pay for production in the time it takes to produce a show and the time it takes to remove ums and ahs and filler words. Holy cow! Are Eric and I good at not using those words? So good. Outside of that, I mean, you get more comfortable, right? And what's great about our show, and honestly, what I love about Squadcast, because for a long time we were using Skype and we tried ZenCaster we're building relationships with these guests and we stay in touch with them literally every month. Like we, we approach our portfolio as we call it as if Mm. they are a venture portfolio Mm. and we send them a monthly update and we communicate with them frequently. We're trying to connect them to other investors and to each other. And so the relationship aspect is important, but at one point we tried Zencaster and without having the video there, just did not have the quality of relationship with that person whatsoever. And so now we're getting, we're just getting better and better at, uh, forming relationships with people in a short period of time. But as a host, I don't know, we've 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 done so much work, I'll tell you this, on the production side of making everything behind the scenes much more clean and, mm-hmm. and useful like we we used to operate out of the super gnarly google spreadsheet that eric made that was fantastic like for a google yeah. sheet like amazing how well he built that to because we have so many possible segments of our show mm. every show has at least uh, an intro an interview and an ending and so we have ad spots between segments one and two and between two and three and so now you're thinking about five potential segments we may need to have for an episode. But sometimes we'll bring in an insight guest, someone that can be like a third party to what the person was talking about in the interview. So at the end of the day, we have like nine potential spots on our show that we were marking as like not necessary or recorded or in mm. editing. We moved our entire production schedule from Google Sheets to Airtable, also led by oh, yeah. And holy cow, is Airtable a powerful production tool for us. That's
1: so funny. I just literally like been moving some of our production work to Airtable, like like literally like this week. So (laughs) I'm all in on Airtable right now. And I'm gonna, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about how you use it, I think that'd be fascinating.
0: Phenomenal. I mean, well, we, we have a tab for the individuals in our network, the companies that they're a part of. And that all links up to our actual production schedule, which moves from like pipeline to scheduled to partially recorded to fully recorded to ready for review and then finished. And then having publication dates on each of those records for a show, we can visually see in a calendar view what episodes are going when, and then on a Kanban view, how far they are in the process. So we we end up having like 12 episodes in flight at any given time uh, so that our audio engineer can be producing it. Um, We use Otter for our transcription. We put it into Otter. We have a group there. I found someone on Upwork that will clean up the Otter transcription for like 650 an hour. Nice. Um, Otter is free, obviously. It's just phenomenal. And now we even have it set up so that we can BCC an email address when we respond to someone in our network related to our show. And it will automatically update an Airtable through Zapier the last contact we had with everybody in our like little network. It's a CRM tool also. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is just a phenomenal, phenomenal tool for us. And it's easy. The part that like really changed the game for us, what we couldn't do in Google Sheets very easily was change the ordering of episodes and when they would be released based on the production. In an Airtable, you just move it on the calendar view and everything updates dynamically. So it's really, really easy to maintain. At this point, I want to move over my entire business operations from Google Sheets where they are now to Airtable. And it's like this terrifyingly daunting thing because I have an actual CRM that I maintained for my business that I would have to move over. And oh my gosh, Er Eric did all of our moving, which isn't even really moving, it's recreating. Mm -hmm. You can't actually copy things over from Google Sheets to Airtable very effectively. You have to pretty much start from scratch. Mm. Just copy what you had in the new format. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah, and for for the listener, if you aren't as familiar with the the concept of databases, I think it's, if you think about a spreadsheet as two-dimensional, the, the database really helps you add that third dimension and start to link in between bases. And in a previous life, I, I, geeked out on data. I remember I took, i read a book about databases. And so I literally understand like how one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-one relationships, and you need to sort of have a little bit of an understanding otherwise you're creating a lot of duplicate fields. And I think yeah. the key takeaway for a database is to remember that um, a, a piece of data should reside in only one place. And, and that used to figure out like who and then what's the key for all that. So it gets pretty geeky. But I think, um I think just with all that's been on my mind, I've, I've seen Airtable around for years now. I'm just like, Oh, I haven't thought about it. But then I had some free time, I put in some client stuff in there. And I was just like, Oh, wait a minute, I just, I had forgotten yeah. the power of a, of a relational database. And so yeah, I probably like uh geek out with you off off air a Basically bit on that. With Airtable yeah. and
0: Zapier, you can do anything. Yeah, like it's now amazing. W- I told you we send a monthly update to our guests. Yeah. Um I had to manually remember like who didn't I not put in a Mailchimp yet, but now like I can zap it in from Airtable into Mailchimp yeah. all the fields dynamically in real time. I don't have to maintain it myself. I just mm-hmm. worry about getting the monthly update out every week, every yeah. month. It's yeah. oh man, what a difference maker.
1: Very cool. We'll make sure we link to Airtable as well. Um, so a couple of questions as we wrap up. Um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: So because entrepreneurship is hard, um, I've been thinking a lot about if I were to start over or if I were to not be an entrepreneur, how would I approach things? And what I've really geeked out on recently is the idea that you can create roles for yourself within companies. If you know who to talk to and you can position it in a way that makes sense for them as an investment. And at the end of the day, it just goes back to the idea of apprenticeship. If I didn't do the business that we did and sold, which was like a pretty modest exit, I would tell myself to try to get an apprenticeship with somebody who's operating at a super high level and is super mm. well connected in the industry. I was super close-minded in that mm. I thought I had to do everything on my own and learn things on my own at the beginning. And I'm realizing now the value of putting in time with somebody who has a ton of experience and not only learning from them, but having access to the relationships they've already built. And then once you want to leave and do your own thing, the value in having their blessing for that, hmm. I think is a real superpower and something you can like really compact into a period of three years, maybe even two years. If you do it really well, uh, if you think about Ryan holiday, one of one of the guys I really, really look up to and that's how his career started. He was working with Robert green and doing not even just like, writing based things, but like basic tasks for Robert Green and that like really catapulted his career as a writer. He learned like his process and how he goes about it. And I'm sure a ton of relationships and continued mentorship from him. And I think it's a really great model that not enough people take advantage of, um, or even taught is something that they could do. Yeah, it's really
1: important. I, I mention a lot the the inf- the influence for me of Jim Rohn and "You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with." And so, kind of like, and you can extrapolate that out to like if you you. I've heard some people say like, look at your five closest friends and how happy they are. That average is happiness is about how happy you are. <laughs> and just and they say that with like money and with like connections and all that sort of stuff. But it's just this idea of like building your network in a in a conscious way, I think it's really interesting.
0: Well, and even just practically speaking, like I, I told you earlier, my goal is to make a living as a writer and as a podcaster. Like I want to create content and have things live that way. That means you have to spend time writing and podcasting. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yep. that's already taken part of your time. And then you also have to afford to be able to have the time to do those things. And yeah. so for me, that's been being an entrepreneur and then finding time to write and podcast outside of that. But if I weren't so stubborn, taking a high paying job and working a hard nine to five, I would actually have more time to do these tasks, these this, these ideas, writing and podcasting, than if I was doing what I'm doing now, which is being an entrepreneur. Maybe less flexibility, but more yeah. time ultimately and more resources. And I think I've probably been a little bit too close-minded on that in that like i have to be my own boss i have to do things my own way to get there and i don't think that's necessarily true
1: yeah it's interesting yeah there's there's so many different ways to get the same outcome and i think and you you're in a great position because you're speaking to so many different people especially in the startup community who have done things against the grain which is probably how they ended up where they are now
0: yeah i mean entrepreneurship is a grind like yeah I would be way more comfortable if I had a job and was still like spending the time doing the work in the off hours. I'm now I'm not going to change that. Like I have no plans to get a job right now because I am still stubborn, but I'm at least realizing that I'm doing it the hard way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, it's one of my slides when I talk, it's this idea of uh, being comfortable with failure and uh, being able, but it's also being able to, I've heard it described as fail fast, like like get up quick. Like, you know, um, recently watched Captain Marvel and that scene at the end where she just like, they show the, all those scenes where she fell on the floor. But then they show just like that sequence of scenes where she's just getting up and getting up and getting up. And just somehow that resonates with me, like as an entrepreneur, just like, yeah, yeah, you just can't, you can't wallow in self-pity. And that didn't work where I lost a couple thousand bucks on that thing. Like, I know it's like the true entrepreneur, like will literally keep, just keep getting up and keep trying.
0: And we'll also do it with grace. Yeah. Like I think the entrepreneurs who are really magical and seem magical are the ones that are constantly getting shit on like every day but you don't see that and you can't tell that from their demeanor like they are handling it with grace and you wouldn't know that they've been in back-to-back meetings all day today you wouldn't know that like they have no time to themselves right now everything just seems easy and like they're mastering all the things yeah yeah. yeah. that is special now you could also argue that people trying to act that way is why we have a mental health crisis (laughs) (laughs) yeah but
1: um (laughs) yeah i mean it's 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 knowing having a circle of friends or having a community or having um, something that you can go to if you need help because like you know it is this weird world of like show me your f- your face in on social and in you know entrepreneurial community about how much you're succeeding but we know like it's like the duck analogy we know like underwater they're like flapping like crazy just like to yep. keep like their business afloat for one more week yep totally um what's the most misunderstood thing about you
0: I think most people think that I'm an extrovert because I make a lot of content and I, I do a lot of videos and audio and things like that, but I am not. And I don't like to be in big groups of people. It does not give me energy. It exhausts me. I get like terrified thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> I really just want to spend all of my time in a dark corner writing and and yeah. interviewing and doing things like this. <laughs> well, then you're you're
1: perfectly fit for being a, a podcaster. But yeah, it, it's a common answer to that question because we're surprised that um, I keep saying the podcast conferences are like the biggest collection of introverts. <laughs> yeah actually twitter 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 is the biggest collection of introverts that's true too (laughs) well jay i want to thank you for i'm glad we were able to work through the scheduling challenges um as a podcaster i'm sure you can relate um so it's always fun to finally get get to talk and get to learn a little bit more i know we had a brief chat early on when we first met but again I, i appreciate this time because it's a way for me to get to know you a bit more and um develop a friendship with you and which is exactly what we talked about on this episode so thanks for making the time
0: for sure thanks for having me on harry
1: What's uh, the best place for folks to connect with you?
0: I am at Klaus on everything, J-A-Y-C-L-O-U-S-E, or um, jklaus.com.
1: Okay. Yeah, so we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes as well.
0: Obviously, the podcast is upside.fm.
1: Upside.fm, which is an amazing URL, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. So that's really, really good. So thanks again. Hope you have a fantastic day. So thanks again to Jay for sharing his story on the show. Don't forget to support our sponsors. A Weber, host of the Beyond the Podcast Summit and focus right maker of the super clean Scarlet2i2. In case you made it this far, the retention hashtag is gonna be hashtag upside J. You can tag him at Jay Klaus, J-A-Y-C-L-O-U-S-E, and myself at podcast underscore junkies. Tune in next week for a great reunion with one of my super fans, Patrick Keller, host of the Big Sands Podcast. Looking forward to that conversation. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Thanks for everything you do to support the show.